Welcome to the eight, and welcome to a brand new series titled, it has a funny name, but I will explain it. If not today, I'll explain it over the next three weeks because it is a four-part series, Strengthen the Elders, Chasten the Young. Let me put this big disclaimer, so please do not judge me. I'm going to put this disclaimer so that way you do not judge me. I only have one child, and she's four and a half. So I am only speaking on four and a half years of experience, and half is a big thing for Ruth. So it, I only, I'm only speaking on behalf of four and a half years of parenting experience, but more than that, I'm sharing with you what I learned from a great book titled Parenting Toward the Kingdom. Parenting Toward the Kingdom, this is also available on Audible. I'm not making a plug-in or anything like that, but there's also available at the connection table. But something I heard ever since, I still remember it at the hospital, and you know, people would come and, you know, call or text me saying, enjoy it because they grow so fast, right? Everyone always says that. Enjoy this time because they grow so fast. They grow so fast. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know her. They grow so fast. But something, I came across this, this quote on Twitter, and I really like it. From a parent's perspective, when we look at kids grow, the days are long, but the years are short. The days are long, but the years are short, and we see them grow. And a question that I've heard every parent ask and I especially hear it more now in priesthood is, did I prepare them enough? Like, did I do everything possible before they went off to college, before they got married? Did I do everything right? The answer is always no. The answer is always no. Every parent is always going to say, I, I wish I did more. I wish I did this. I shouldn't have done that. I wish I was more present. I wish I worked less. Every parent is always, the answer to this question is always going to be no. Did I prepare them enough? The answer is always going to be no, and we'll kind of elaborate on that as we move forward. And we, this is not just me, I know you've experienced this as well as parents, is that as we're walking out the hospital, at giving birth to our child, or the, the mom, you know, not me, but you know, you're leaving the hospital, and, and everyone is like, um, you know, you, you feel kind of scared. Like, I remember, I, I literally thought I was gonna kill Ruth changing, like, my first diaper, because like, you know, she looks so frail, and I thought I was about to like, you know, snap her leg or something like that, and the nurse walked away. Like, and so I, I, I got stressed. And then you're leaving the hospital and you want to bring the nurse and put, him, put her in the passenger seat as you're leaving the hospital because you're like, how are they trusting me to watch this thing? Just us too. As, like, I, we've never watched a kid before in our life. And you're leaving the hospital and you're just so scared. I remember, like, I remember driving 30 miles per hour on I-85, driving back home, leaving the hospital because I'm so scared. There's a living human being down the car seat. It's not empty anymore. And it is super scary. And I want to share with you today three takeaways of good parents. Again, this is not mine. This is written by an orthodox psychologist. His name is Philip Mamalakis. He's a PhD. And I just want to share with you uh, three takeaways as far as good parenting. One thing that's, no, that's common between all good parents, three takeaways about good parenting, is they prioritize relationship over experience. Our reflex as parents is that we need to fill Monday through Friday with ballet, soccer, uh, so forth and so on. We need to fill their schedule every day with something. We feel that's the best thing we can do for them. But they say good parents prioritize relationship over experience. Sometimes we think if I just give them this new experience, this is what's going to help them thrive. But in reality, it is a relationship, a genuine relationship in which we invest in them. Sometimes the car ride to soccer practice is more valuable than the soccer practice itself. The conversation in the car on your way to ballet or the next sporting event or to school is more valuable than the actual event in which they're going to attend. 
and, 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 and we remember that more. If you think of, we think of our childhood, we remember those relationships, those dialogues, those conversations more than just like how many years did I really play soccer? We don't remember those details, but we do remember the, the, the connection that we had with our parents. And they noted, he, he brings a point in the book is that some parents like project what they want for themselves on their kid. For example, they want their kid, um, like, like the, the, the dad always wanted to like, you know, be in the MLS. He always wanted to play for Zemelik. He always wanted to play like for a big soccer team, right? So he's gonna make sure that his kid gets the new, you know, you know, messy shoes and, you know, is training in the garage and training out in the, in the out, because he's projecting that on him. And, and obviously, you know, they're saying a lot of, a lot of parents struggle with that, but w w a good takeaway as far as good parenting is that they prioritize relationship over experience. Just a few weeks ago, we just finished men's group at, at Sam Mark Church. We finished the a session of men's group. And something that came up is we're talking about our childhood memories with our dads. We talked about our childhood memories with our dads. And it was so fascinating. Nobody mentioned anything about, like, we did this or we did that. They remember, like, they remember personal connections they had with their dad. They remember, like, the relationship they had, or lack thereof, to be honest. But it was that. It wasn't to be like, I'm so happy my dad signed me up for, like, a 10-week, like, you know, program. They, nobody, nobody said that. They prioritized relationship over experience, and even for our memories, our best memories of our childhood is, is connected to a deep relationship as opposed to just, like, moving on to the next thing. The second takeaway, which if you do not have children, this sounds super weird, is that they are not afraid of their kids as far as what a good parent is. They are not, if you're a parent, you kind of get this. If you're not, this sounds super weird. But some parents are so scared of their kids that they want to make them happy all the time. So I will get that new thing. I will say yes to this. I will make sure we get that. Even if it requires us to be more in debt, I'm going to do this for you because I want you to be happy. I want to please you. So I, I, don't, I, I don't want them to be scared of me or disapprove of me. I want them to always love me and like me. So good parents, they are never afraid of their kids because whenever fear is running through the parents, Who's in control in this dynamic between a parent and a child? It's the child. But this is a natural reflex is that we want to make our child so happy all the time that like sometimes they're in control as opposed to the parent. The third takeaway, ooh wee. The third takeaway, it's reliant on a healthy marriage. Takeaway of a good parent, good parenting, it's reliant on a healthy marriage. Before you check out, before you say, okay, you know what, I, I don't want, like, that's not for me. Bef like, uh, before you put down the pen and you, you mentally check out, because maybe there's no hope for your marriage, or maybe there isn't a marriage, and, 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 and you're, you're already checked out. Bear with me. Bear with me for the next 12 minutes. And let me say this to the high schoolers, since you guys are with us today. The, the, at a high level, and we'll talk about this over the next few weeks. Good parenting is reliant on a healthy marriage, which we'll get to. Not just marriage, and not just a happy marriage, I'm saying a healthy marriage. And what you can do for you to invest in a healthy marriage is for you to work on yourself now. It's for you to work on this conflict you have with this friend. Build yourself up. And, and, and if you build yourself up, then that's, that's going to be an investment into a healthy relationship or a healthy marriage. 
Don't feel, if I just meet the right person, or if she just says yes to me, or if he says yes to me, then everything will be fine. No, the, right now is your investment in your future marriage of how you deal with conflicts and tension and pain right now. So the issues, that, the stress that you deal with now is building you up for a healthy marriage. So, so look at it from that perspective. But I want to make this clear. It's politically correct, it is politically correct, to remove marriage from parenting. We want to talk about parenting in an isolated way. What can I do that makes me a good parent? We want to strip that away from marriage. And it's politically correct. It makes everyone, you know, no one feels offended or, or, or so forth and so on. So it's better to keep it separate. So it's politically correct to remove marriage discussion from the parenting discussion. But what I want to talk about, and this is kind of a foreign term now, is the idea of a nuclear family. A nuclear family or a nucleus family. A nuclear family is wh where there's a, a, a dad, mom, and kid or kids. Like this is the, uh, the ideal, and we'll get to this in a little bit. Like this is the framework in which the divine designer has instilled for us to raise children. But we move away from that. Just to show you a couple of examples of how we remove away. Right? When we talk about parenting, we never bring up marriage. Right? We want to approach it from an isolated topic altogether and not connect it to marriage. This is why we hear and we romanticize terms like co-parenting. Oh, you know, we, we, we divorced or we separated, but we, 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 we're, we're doing a beautiful thing together. We're co-parenting. There's nothing wrong with that, and I will get to that. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we romanticize that for that being ideal. And again, don't take anything I'm saying out of context because you have to hear the whole thing and actually the whole series before anyone gets offended. But I'm, I just want to make this clear. It's to the point. I'm not kidding when I say this. Somebody just told me recently that they sat, sat down with me and says, you know what, I don't want to do marriage, but I, I, I love children. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to, to, have, you know, to, to have four children, but I don't want to, 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 to get married. I'm going to have four children. Like to them, that, to them, that seems like the ideal picture for parents. And, and, and nothing can convince them otherwise because someone has already instilled in them to romanticize parenthood outside of marriage. Now, before I lose you, there's something titled, oh, I'm sorry, this is the title of our series, Strengthen the Elders, Chasten the Young. This is a saying from St. Gregory the Theologian. Uh, he said this in the year 380 AD, but we'll get to that uh, on another Sunday. Let's talk about this. Real verse ideal. Real verse ideal. Ideal is that, that commercial of that burger, but then when you go to the restaurant, what you get looks nothing like it. What's ideal is that commercial of them going to the vacation spot and, you know, they're fit and so happy with a drink in their hand and just skipping into the sunset. That's ideal. But then you get there, rea reality does not match ideal. You see his or her profile picture, you're dating, you see the profile picture, and you finally meet up in person, and you realize that picture does not match what you saw in person, right? The ideal of real versus ideal. And sometimes I like to think of myself like this when I look at myself in the, in the mirror. It's the ideal you and the real you. This is for some reason, more guys, we do this. I'm one of them. But females, it's always the opposite for some reason. But anyway, like, right, so this is, this is ideal you versus real you. I'm not speaking with personal experience. I'm just saying. That's what I heard, right? So this ideal you versus real you. If we're going to talk about the ideal template of how to parent and how to pursue the fullness of life, then we cannot run away from what's ideal. Like, we cannot just sit there and say, this might work for some people, this might work. Yes, 
but we cannot run away from what is ideal. This is why we pursue the ideal of fullness of life, which is found in the person of Jesus. So we have to label what is ideal by looking at the person who is ideal, the person of God. So, you know, you know it, ideal is so hard to grasp. Like, how do I find ideal? Uh, like, yeah, we can talk about ideal, but it's not practical, it's not realistic. The best advice and the best narrative that we have that gives us comfort is that all throughout world history, all throughout human history of those who are pursuing God, and if you just look at the Bible alone, there are tons of stories of broken people trying to pursue ideal, and you and I are not any different. The Bible is full of, 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 of real people coming with their brokenness trying to pursue ideal. Just to show you, even in the first marriage, even in the first marriage on planet Earth, there was ideal, but that ideal was broken. Realist, reality hit in, and through reality came more brokenness. I mean, look at the first marriage. They had issues. Just think about, the, just think theoretically, for example. Like, Adam, Adam and Eve were on the same page in the beginning, but Eve, they both kind of drifted away, and Eve wanted to do her own thing. Imagine, imagine if Adam invested in the relationship. Imagine if Adam invested in, in, in their marriage and talked more with Eve for them to be on the same page. Maybe they wouldn't have fallen. Maybe we wouldn't have the whole ordeal of what happened to Cain and Abel as far as a murder was concerned. If there was an investment in their marriage. So the parenting, what happened with their kids, you can look at it, was just a product of a broken marriage. I do not want us to lose hope. And this icon here depicts that. Here is the brokenness of humanity. Eve, yearning to find the ideal of the fullness of life. And next to her is St. Mary, the mother of God. Again, ancient Christian iconography is not a snapshot of, of a time. It captures many elements outside of the dimension of time and captures those elements into one icon. So obviously they were not, you know, if you look at history, they were not there at the same time. But an icon transcends any limitations of time. So you see Eve yearning to find the, what's ideal, what's ideal humanity in Jesus. And she's putting her hand on the bosom or in the womb of St. Mary. We come with our brokenness, with reality, yearning to find ideal. Not to define what's real for us and say that's ideal, but for us to pursue what is ideal and starting to know where we are, where, where's our reality, and then shooting for what is ideal. The New Testament authors were pushing, 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 pushing what ideal is. What's ideal in sexuality? What's the ideal of managing conflicts? What's the ideal of marriage? What's the ideal of pursuing life? What's the ideal of how to prioritize the demands of life? Like, they kept on pushing us, and it's clear from the New Testament authors as far as what ideal is. And we see that in the early church, in the, in the early Christians in the first few centuries. Even we pray liturgically that those who push to find ideal in him were perfected in the faith. They were perfected in the faith. Not per they're like, oh, they're so they're perfect. No, not in that sense the way you and I look at perfection. But they were pushing themselves to find perfection in what is ideal. This is what allowed them to be perfected in the faith. It's because they understood reality, the broken reality, but they came to pursue what is ideal. 
I might lose you now for the next 20 seconds, but I like this sentence. This is my own notes, so this makes sense to me, but it might not make sense to you, but anywho. Ideal was created. Ideal was created by the triune God for all of humanity. Ideal was created as far as sexuality, marriage, uh, human dynamics, so forth and so on. Ideal was created. But through humanity, breaking or distorting what is ideal, a broken reality, aka sin, set in. We decided to distort what is ideal. We decided to abuse our freedom and say, man, what's a big deal? I'll do my own thing. Because of that, we distorted ideal and a broken reality set in. But the ideal icon of humanity, the ideal icon of humanity came to restore and point our broken reality toward ideal. The ideal icon of humanity, which is Jesus, came to restore and point our broken reality toward ideal. Jesus, being such a master communicator, loved to embrace reality, but to point us to ideal. Jesus embraced reality, but point us to ideal. This is why he would begin sentences by saying, the kingdom of God is like, and he, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. He would point a picture of what is ideal, but still embrace where we are as far as reality is concerned. But he set the bar as far as where ideal is. And he said it this way when it came to the sexuality. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying, okay, you have heard this. Okay, great, fabulous. But I'm just saying, even if you just look, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He raises the bar as far as the delicacy and the seriousness and the beauty and how fragile the gift of sexuality is. He embraces reality, but then he pushes the bar as far as what ideal is. Jesus never, Jesus never watered down truth. He never watered down ideal, but still showers us with grace. Okay, we're saying uh, uh, what will help us in parenting is a healthy marriage. But do you know where God meets us when we don't have healthy marriages? He meets us where we are right now. He embraces the reality of our brokenness, our brokenness in maybe in our marriage, a brokenness of, 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 our, of our homes. He meets us where we are still even though there is broken. But at the same time, we cannot run away from what's ideal. Yes, there is reality, and he'll still work in the midst of reality in a beautiful way. But at the same time, we can't ignore what's ideal. What did the divine designer instill in humanity for us to pursue as far as ideal? But let us not separate the two. Like, we make a mistake of just saying, this is reality. I can romanticize co-parenting, romanticize. I can have children without another human being being involved. We've stripped away what ideal is from the divine designer of parenting. Just to show you, I want to share with you what the ancient church, specifically in the Coptic Orthodox Church, what does the church cheer us on to pray every morning in the Egbeya? The church empowers us to pray this. The, same, the words of a first eyewitness of Jesus, St. John, he said this. The word, he's using Greek philosophy, the word is logos. He's saying, the logos became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. Like he's trying to capture, like logos in Greek philosophy is like an impersonal um, like force. Like it's, it's theoretical. But he's saying logos in Greek philosophy, now the word, the logos, he became flesh, became tangible, became real and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. He's saying, we have now seen the embodiment of the fullness of life. We have seen now God in Abad, and that changes everything. Now, logos, it's not just a theoretical Greek philosophical, uh, philosophical term. Now it's reality, it's tangible. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, him being full of grace and truth. I've, maybe you've heard me talk about this icon, but I love this icon so much. And there's many different meditations to this icon. And I brought my physical one here, no touchy, because this is mine for my office. I love it. So why I love this icon, there's many meditations and different ways to look at it. But St. John says that, 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 that this embodiment of the fullness of life, this embodiment of God and Abad is the fullness of grace and truth 100% each. 100% grace and 100% truth. You know what 100% truth just looks like? This is what the Pharisees did. Oh, you shouldn't do that. That's really bad. You can't do that. That's all truth. Grace is like, well, it's okay. What's the big deal if I do this? God will forgive me and God always loves me. Yes, God will always love you and God always forgives me. Yes. But I need to hold both together. Both have to go hand in hand. I cannot just put grace, 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 and I can't just say truth, truth, truth. Like both have to be in, 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 have to be in sync together and the fullness of both are in both. But this icon looks weird. Like, I, I mean, if, from, if I'm not used to ancient Christianity icons or art, this looks super weird. And the reason why it looks weird is because the face is not symmetrical. Like, one side of the face looks very different than the other. Just to even make it more weird, <laughs> if I took one side and duplicated it, this is what it would look like. And if I took the other side and duplicated it, this is how it would look like. The, 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 the iconographer is wanting to depict a reality to us. The two parts of God, of him being a man and God, are, are in sync. The two parts of God, him being full of grace and full of truth, are in sync as well. Like this is a gentle picture, picture of God just showing purely grace. This is all truth of God, right? Like both have to go hand in hand. Like imagine truth being um, just like the bones of a body. If I walked around and I just had no flesh and I just walked around just bones, I would look super scary, right? You wouldn't, you would not come close to me. I'm being silly, but you know what I'm saying, right? It, truth is just bones. Grace is the skin put on top of bones. Both have to go hand in hand. Make you are able to come to me. I'm able to be more, um, I'm able to interact with you because of me having skin on me, right? So grace and truth have to go hand in hand. This icon depicts that reality of there being grace and truth. St. John, as him trying to just capture everything he experienced as a first eyewitness to Jesus, him just trying to take his language of Greek philosophy, trying to understand that, the, that, 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 that this deity now has come and dwelt among us, and he has come to, to embrace my broken reality to point me to ideal. St. John says this, for the law, yes, all the law of Judaism, that was given through Moses. But now the perfection of law, grace, and truth beautifully in sync together, this came through the person of God, 
Jesus Christ. And you know what we say when we pray these words in the first hour of the Igbeya, which is our prayer book in the Coptic Orthodox Church? You know what we say after this? After this sense, that the perfection of grace and truth working through us, what, what a reality is to point us to ideal, we say glory be to God forever, amen. May the sayings of God be fulfilled in truth. We worship you, O Christ, with your good Father and the Holy Spirit. That we embrace that grace and truth came together as one. If we are going to talk about parenting for the next three weeks, we first have to know what's the backdrop to healthy parenting. And that begins with a healthy marriage. We cannot separate the two if we're wanting to ask the divine designer of how parenting is intended to be. But I promise you, your heavenly father meets you and I where we are. And he points us toward ideal. But at the same time, his grace is able to work amazingly through our weakness because he meets us where we are. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we find definitions to things that the world tells us, and we go to town with it. But maybe there is the fullness of life through you. Maybe there is a better way for us to look at conflicts, pain, parenting, marriage through a different lens. Lord, I pray that this series not only impacts me, and not only parents, but all of us, regardless of the season of life that we are in. For us to know there is an ideal, but we also know that you work through the real of our brokenness and the reality of what exists in this world. Because, Lord, you came down to earth to lift us up back into perfection, which is only found in you. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray. Thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Sorry guys for being so hot. I promise you'll be fixed for next week, but we'll continue the series next week.